a cheerful start with Love Divine or Love's Excelling sung by the St Michael's Singers. Here's Donnie Murder MacLeod with The Love of God is Greater Far Than Tongue or Pen Can Ever Tell. is autistic and she's written a book to try to describe her experiences called Explaining Humans. She's a naturally gifted musician and she asks Michael Barclay for one of the pieces she enjoys playing. Michael Nyman's accompaniment he wrote 
for the film The Piano. You can hear the whole interview under Private Passions on the BBC Sounds website. Diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder at the age of eight, Camilla Pang struggled to understand the world around her. In fact, she asked her mother if there was an instruction manual for humans that could help. Well, 20 years on, after taking her PhD and embarking on a career as a scientist, Camilla has herself had a go at writing that manual. She called it Explaining Humans, and it's won the Royal Society Prize for the best science book this year. A highly original blend of scientific theory and personal memoir, it gives a real insight into what it's like to live with autism. I really feel that uh, I've entered your world, Camilla, in a sense, through reading this, and it's, it's positive and it's funny. In fact, you say you're lucky, uh, using your words, uh, to be, as it were, from another planet. Oh, and that's actually an expression people have used about music sometimes. One of the things you talk about is the kind of sensory overload that people with autism spectrum disorder can experience. You yourself are particularly sensitive, for example, to certain sounds. Tell me a little bit what that's like and what they are. Yeah, so autism is, um, uh, what comes with it is a heightened sense of, um, well, senses. You are constantly alive in the sense that you're always aware and everything is a red signal um, from a siren to someone unlocking the door to a, to a key to someone tapping. Everything is present and that can be very overwhelming, actually. And when it comes to music... Because you're already in a place where you are so heightened, it can bring you out of this world, <laughs> um, so to speak. And it's um, you're very sensitive to it, and so you often get lost in your own world. But having said that, there are other sounds that aren't quite as coherent, that are equivalent of a lion roaring behind you that you want to run away from. So it's a very interesting place to be. I think one of those was a fire alarm at school, wasn't it? Yes. So oh, it was a very interesting having to... I don't understand how teachers expect children to stay in line when there's clearly a survival instinct that needs to be tamed. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> it's very fascinating that what you're describing is actually, you know, what... Beethoven, to a certain extent, got as a result of his deafness because he had something called hyperacusis, which means you'd think that if you were going deaf, you'd want to hear loud sounds, but it was the other way around. They sounded terrifying. And so, for example, had they had them in those days, something like a road drill would have been pure hell, and I imagine it is for you. Yes, no, completely. Like, even when I go for a little run just to clear my mind, something as simple as the roadworks, the, the red plastic fencing, the drilling, it can set me off, which is great for the run, but it's not great for my mental health on the run. So, yeah, it, it could definitely trigger you differently. I know you love classical music and you play the piano and sing. And, in fact, the music we're going to hear today, uh, from William Byrd to Michael Nyman, taking in Debussy, Guno, Bruckner, um, a lot of it you pick up by ear, don't you, and take to the piano, because you don't sight-read music, you play by ear, and you did from a very young age. Yeah, so um, I was, like, 18 months old on the xylophone, and there was... Um Peter Pan playing and I just played Never Smile Like a Crocodile on the xylophone and my parents were like, This is this is not normal and but you don't <laughs> because it was so natural I didn't know it was normal and then there was another example when I was at school and the headmistress always used to play the piano in the morning and wear a scarf 
And after school, when my mum was talking to her, she left the scarf on the piano stool, and I was like, well, this is this has got to be sorted. So I thought I put the scarf on and started playing the hymns she played in the morning. <laughs> so, so, so you were putting on a kind of helmet that yeah. uh, allowed you to create the music. Yeah, it was all the scarf, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> One of the um, pieces that you uh, picked out uh, was both on a television commercial, so you'd have heard it a lot, the Lloyds Bank, and also was the signature tune, if you like, of Jane Campion's film, The Piano. Did you take this simply from hearing it and then go to the piano and play it? I think my mum heard it on the um, on, on the TV and then she played it because she actually has Michael Nyman's album. And then when she played it in the car, it was quite freaky because then the, the day or well, the night after, I, I played it uh, on my piano and she was like, oh, that, that's weird. So we, we knew that I could pick music up quite fast, but the fact that I played it was something that she was like, OK, this is where... Um, I feel like it's all going to start. And for me, it was the first piece of music that I caught that I thought, yeah, this is, this is good. Did you ever try uh, sight reading from music or did you just always rely on playing by ear? I tried doing grade one and I didn't pass it. And that was because I, even though I could read the music, I did it all from memory anyway. And they noticed that I wasn't actually looking at the paper. And I think from that, that was the end of it. But it's cool because it means that I can just go with the flow of my own mind. first. Michael Nyman's score for the 1993 film The Piano, performed by the composer. You were brought up in Wales, Camilla Pang, in a mixture of cultures, a rather wonderful mix, Welsh and Chinese. What kind of childhood was that? It was an incredible childhood. My parents have done a fab job and um, I was very lucky to be exposed to both English and the Welsh cultures and Wales is absolutely stunning. But also my father um, is Chinese and so every week we would go to our Chinese grandparents or Popper and Gungung um, for sick fan, which means eat rice. And that means we all gather around the table with all the beautiful smelling dishes. There's about five or six of them. We have our rice bowls and it's just that feeling of complete unity with a culture and also it's very different you don't eat with a knife and fork you eat with chopsticks that you hold in the same hand you hold your bowl up and it's completely different to what I've been taught and I think that really taught me that um, rules are very culture specific and they, they, they can bend and flex and I think that's a very important thing to consider when making algorithms of people <laughs> obviously you were uh quite a challenging child in some ways, if I can put it that way. Mm. Uh, and you spent a lot of time living in a cardboard 
box your mother cut a cat flap in it <laughs> so that you could pass uh, in and out and she could pass food into you <laughs> yes it was uh, my home um, yeah i even drew flowers on the outside of it with um permanent marker because it was my permanent place to be and to be fed biscuits in by your mum to be so to have an environment that is so accepting of whatever shape you decide to be in that day usually square is very refreshing and it's very um a nice place to be because it zeroes the senses it makes you feel contained like you have some control on the immediate environment around you and I still wish I had that cardboard box to this day Um, (laughs) but now you know I've got my own equivalences it's sort of embryonic isn't it going back into a place of safety yeah, yeah, completely. And regardless of how old you are or where you're from or what you do, everyone needs the equivalent of a cardboard box to centre themselves in. So what's your equivalent now? Um, I have a corner in the room that's got all my books in and i got a cushion there and I just sit there and it's, some, it's a place that I know I've got everything I need at that point in the universe. <laughs> Uh, as I said, you were diagnosed with autism when you were eight. Uh, do you remember that and how much did you understand uh, what was going on? Yeah, so I got diagnosed when I was eight and I didn't really feel any different. I was like, well, OK, it's another label that I don't quite ascribe to. And so it was mainly for my parents so they, so they could get the appropriate help. Whereas me, I was like, OK, I'm just going to carry on anyway. Mm. One of the things that happened was that you went to a boarding school in Gloucestershire that specialised in special needs, Wycliffe College School. And I think several pieces of music that we're going to hear today were things you discovered there, singing, composing, playing the piano. Uh, So maybe you had inspiring music teachers. Yes, I've always had really great music teachers. And I think it's because when I played the piano, they thought, oh, well, well, clearly she's got something. And even if she doesn't do music, she clearly has a passion for it. And I think every teacher wants to see a student that has a passion for this subject so it was a yeah I went to the choir as well I I loved it um they let me go into the music room you know after homework time and which was my time I loved it and Camilla Pang was talking to Michael Barclay now back to music and we've heard already from Donnie Murdo McLeod he's from the Western Isles Now here's a trio of musicians from the Central Belt, Boness in fact, Vangel Singh, St Paul's Song. It's based on a famous chapter in the Bible uh, written by Paul, St Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, St Paul's Song. If I spoke in tongues of men or spoke in tongues of angels If I could not speak with love I'd just be symbols clanging And everyone would hold their ears They wouldn't want to take it Not a soul would want to hear A racket so outrageous If I spoke in prophecies The fate of many nations If I knew the mysteries The secrets of creation And had I all the faith I need 
Enough for mountains moving Without love to carry me What good would it do me? Love is kind and suffers long It's not proud or jealous Love don't remember wrongs Love will never fail us It hopes, bleeds, it bears all things It'll never be defeated More than faith, more than hope Love it is the greatest Knowledge, prophecies will fade And tongues will all fall silent Love that faces everything Is solid and defiant And though it's hard to see these things As through a dark glass straining When we're standing face to face The truth won't need explaining Love is kind and suffers long It is not proud or jealous Love don't remember wrongs Love will never fail us It hopes, believes, it bears all things It'll never be defeated More than faith, more than hope Love it is the greatest More than faith, more than hope Love it is the greatest
The Praise Gathering Choir, that's a large Scottish choir with Loved Before the Dawn of Time. Malcolm Geint has written a series of meditations based on the Psalms. Today we hear Malcolm's reading of Psalm 36. It's followed by the choir of King's College, Cambridge, singing Ola Gielo's version of Ubi Caritas, Where There Is Charity and Love, God Is. A response to Psalm 36. As pilgrim souls on whom your light has shone, let us leave judgment to your tender mercy and turn instead to you. Keep pressing on towards the steadfast heights, the mountain country of your holy presence. Let us drink from that swift river our true ecstasy. Refresh us, Christ, and bring us to the brink of that deep well where life itself is light. And goodness, more than we can dream or think, flows from your plenteousness, from your delight in all your works, and where your loving kindness shines through our day and comforts us at night, like soft wings safely overarching us, that we might put our utter trust in you and fret no more for passing wickedness.
Barry Gentis lives in Kirk Michael and is a member of Pitlochry Baptist Church. Larry reenacts for us the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Where do you live? I believe wherever it is, it should be a better place for you having been there, regardless of the circumstances. My name is Daniel from the land of Israel, and I've been here in the land of Shinar since our land was taken over by King Nebuchadnezzar some years ago. After the invasion and our land was taken, myself and thousands of other Jews were relocated in the land of our conquerors. After some time, some of us were separated from the rest of the exiles because we were young and quick to learn new things. Well, they lodged us in a school where we were taught science, maths, accounting, and other subjects that would profit the kingdom. You know, I didn't expect that. Normally, a conquered people become slaves, but they chose us to have great responsibilities for running their government. And to be honest, I was grateful for their treatment of us. Well, some years have gone by now, and we've prospered in this land. There's a good reason why I spoke about making a place better at the beginning of our story. King Darius had noticed that the Jews that came from Israel were trustworthy and worked harder than the others. In fact, he was going to appoint me over the government workings of the entire nation. Well, this made some of the authorities jealous, and they were determined to get rid of me by any means possible. You see, they were dishonest, lazy, and took bribes. They wanted what I had, but were unwilling to do what I did to get it. Well, isn't that what jealousy is all about? There are differences between us because we Jews have laws that God has given us, and they knew this. For example, we can't worship false gods, but they see their king as God. There are also specific prayer times when we turn our faces toward the temple of Jerusalem, open our windows and talk to God. My enemies also conceded they weren't going to get rid of me by finding corruption because there wasn't any to be found. So... Their plot was to get King Darius to issue an irrevocable law that if anyone prayed to any god besides the king, they'd be cast into the lion's den. Hmm, the king signed the law, so what was I to do? Well, the choice was simple. Obey the king and deny my god, or obey God and be torn to shreds by the lions. My decision, well, was even simpler. In the morning, I opened my windows, bowed my head, and I prayed it didn't take long for my enemies to go to the king and tell him what I'd done. Even though he had a high regard for me, he was trapped by his own law that could not be revoked. When the guards came to take me away, I didn't resist or make a fuss. I always believed when you stand for something, you have to be prepared for the consequences or you don't really believe it. As I was being lowered into the lion's pit, I heard the king telling me, your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. I don't know if he said this convincingly or hopefully, and I wasn't sure of being delivered. But for me, being delivered or not can't be a reason to make a stand, because the one doesn't necessarily justify the other. Whether I die or not is less important than the principle of worshipping the true God, and not a false one. How can I describe going down into the pit... Well, the first thing that hits you is the smell of rotten carrion. Next is the sight of tens of glowing yellow eyes following my every move in the darkness. To them, I'm not a man, I'm food. And they've been especially starved for this occasion. Strangely enough, they didn't seem to be interested in me. 
You've seen how a house cat will come around you, smell you, paw you a bit, and check you out before clawing you? A lion is just a bigger version of it. So, what was I doing that night? Simple. Praying. All night, I was praying. There are some circumstances when that's all that's left. In the morning, when I first saw the rays of light through the cracks of the hatch, I heard the king's voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you constantly serve been able to deliver you from the lions? I answered him, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also towards you, O king. I have committed no crime. Then the king gave orders to have me taken out of the den, and those who accused me were put in instead with their wives and families. They hadn't even reached the bottom before the lions went into a feeding frenzy, breaking bones and tearing flesh, and within minutes they were all dead. It was a truly horrific scene. After this, King Darius issued a decree that all his subjects were to fear the God we serve because he delivered me from the lions. Now, I'll ask you again. Where do you live, and is it a better place for you having been there? This is Trish Morgan at Spring Harvest a number of years ago now. The song is Lord, I Come to You or The Power of Your Love. Lord, I come to you Let my heart be
Sorensen is a regular contributor to Pause for Thought on Radio 2. Alan has given us permission to broadcast some of his God spots, and today he has one on wanting more. Well, I know I'm not alone in having a certain dislike of the end of the month, especially when there's just too much month left at the end of the pay packet. And there's always the sales on to tempt us. So the bank managers all rub their hands with glee because there aren't many in this country left with much in the bank at the end of the month. So we all want more, don't we? We all do. More, 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 more. The question is, why doesn't God give us more? And I'll tell you the answer. What makes you think you'll be happy with more when you aren't happy with what you have already? Unlimited blessings to you. doodle the doo that was a quick-fire thought from Alan Sorensen. We've been listening to songs about God's love, and now here's perhaps the simplest of them all, but at the same time, so profound. Patty Page and Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Jesus loves me, this I know For the Bible tells me so Little ones to him belong but he is strong Yes, Jesus loves me Yes, Jesus loves me Yes, Jesus loves me The Bible tells me so Jesus loves me He who died gates to open wide he will wash away my sin let his little child come in yes Jesus loves me yes Jesus loves me yes Jesus loves me 
Frills version of Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. We leave you with Chris Tomlin and Forever.